Mighty Ape is Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. With everything from movies, music, games, toys, books, hobbies and more, Mighty Ape is your one-stop shop for the things that matter most. They constantly have hot deals and exclusive promos. And if you visit their website on the click-through banner on fakechef.net's homepage, then your purchase will help support Good Movie Monday. Mighty Ape, Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Morning. Good morning. Good morning. You mean to wish me a good morning? What do you mean that it is a good morning whether I want it or not? Please go away. Let me speak for the love of God. The monster mash. It was a graveyard smash. <laughs> no, you're on your own, mate. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you listen closely enough, you'll notice that that is actually a Calypso rendition of Monster Mash. Just got to find your way around those copyrights. <laughs> <laughs> they don't do novelty songs like they used to. No. No, no, you have to buy them on compilation CDs. Oh, that's true. Can you even buy them on compilation? Yeah. Yeah, yeah like, like there's a whole bunch, like the Ace, Ace Records. They, do, they don't call them like a novelty song compilation, but they're just like compilations and... Half the time, it's all like novelty songs. Right. Okay. Are they fresh new ones or are they just old ones? Recycled? No, they're old ones. Oh, recycled. well, that's they're, what no, I mean. No, no, they're not making new ones. <laughs> well, they should, damn it. I mean, I don't know. Is, isn't every, isn't every uh, LF at MAO <laughs> song a novelty song? That's true. <laughs> Pharrell Williams. It's all novelty. It's all novelty. <laughs> I mean, happy. Like, who thought that guy was going to make it? Like, he's been around for years. No, that hat, no. Daft Punk. Every song of Daft Punk's is like a novelty song. <laughs> we'll get ourselves in trouble here. Yeah, well, we've just offended all the LFMAO <laughs> fans and Daft Punk fans and Red uh, Foo, whatever Red his name. Voice <laughs> <laughs> fans well, or Australia's Got Talent or whatever the hell he was. Anyway, welcome to another week of Good Movie Monday, everybody. It's uh, the movie podcast presented by FakeShamp.net. We are the home of the nerdy cinematic ramblings, and if you do visit FakeShamp.net, you can find all of our past episodes. It's a dumping ground. It's where you find the exclusive videos, the movie reviews, interviews, and lots more. If you uh, click the link, you can find the uh, Red Foo Fan Club. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Thank you for joining us. My name is Glenn Cochran. I much prefer potato mash. Um, Sitting here across from me is Ben, as he is every week, and he likes mash. I like sour mash. Oh, I was going for the whole, you know, television mash. Television mash. I do like that mash. I like the prefer the movie, though. Yeah, well, that's true. Because they keep the lyrics in the Suicide is Painless song, which is a great song, and they... They still keep the music, but take the lyrics out for the TV show. And they Outrageous. make it happy. And they make it happy. And they make it happy. <laughs> like, add the laugh track. <laughs> so, uh, what is with this cheesy monster music intro? You may be asking. Good question. Uh, this episode is dedicated to the work of Neil Marshall, the British director who worked his way to Hollywood and was essentially adopted into that legendary Masters of Horror fraternity. He is no stranger to monsters. Uh, we're going to spend this entire episode looking at his films, and then to cap it off. Neil is actually going to join me for a chat about his latest movie, The Reckoning. All of that coming up later on, so please do hang around. Of course, we've got the regular maestros of mirth. Um, They're strapped in and ready to go. Jarrett from Monster Pictures has all of this week's physical media releases covered for you. Guillermo from Screen Realm will have his update. Adam Ross will be recommending some kind of five-star film. And our good friends from across the pond, Joe, Chad and James, will be adding to our Neil Marshall banter with their latest instalment of Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. There's a lot to get through, so let's go. 
So, Ben, what's news with you anyway, mate? Been up to much over the last week? Watched anything? Uh, watched a bit. I wish you would have asked me this question uh, while we were <laughs> off air so I could bring up my letterbox. Uh, what's the fun me, in that? To help me remember what I'd been You know I'm I a son watching, of a bitch. Uh, I mean, I've been watching shows. I've been watching uh, Neil Marshall movies for the show. <laughs> That's good. Uh, and I've been—I started based on your recommendation. I know you don't like talking about TV, but I have watched the first three episodes of Clarice. Excellent. Did you enjoy? I did. I did. Although, like, they—they they really try and ham up the PTSD. Uh, element of it, like like that's the f- the whole thrust of the show. Like, yep. you like oh. the psychology stuff. Yeah, look, I mean, I like the behavioral science stuff, and I like the, you know the that all the other FBI agents and stuff are jealous of her because you know she was a trainee and and you know broke this huge case while they were all off doing nonsense. But just the the beating <laughs> over, like like everyone is. Like, they literally have an army sniper on their team. Like, don't tell me that guy doesn't have PTSD. Like, he's shooting people. Like, he tells stories about shooting pe- kids in the uh, neck. And they're like, no, we're going to focus on you. Uh, ben Helwig, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, telling it how it is. TV critic extraordinaire. But uh, I did, I rewatched all seven seasons of The Good Wife as well. Oh, jeez, uh, man. Far um, out. You need a whole other podcast. What a, recently, I'm just looking at my letterbox here. So, recently, I watched Foul Play. Oh, with Chevy yeah. Chase and Goldie Horn And Dudley Moore. And Dudley Moore. Hiding Out with uh, John Cryer. Excellent. Uh, the Program with James Kahn, which is, you know, surprisingly good. Like, I remember I remember the trailer of it being on, like, a bunch of tapes when yep. I was a kid. And there's that scene where the two guys spit in each other's mouths before oh. they go in the field. And I was like, <laughs> I am not watching this. <laughs> but uh, I was like, why the hell not? And it was actually pretty... Man. It was pretty good. Like, Wait. I mean, James Kahn is not... He was a lot less kind of uh, John Voight yep. he as the coach. Like mm-hmm. I thought he was going to be t- like John Voight in um, in Varsity Blues. Yeah. But he's a lot he's a lot softer, which I was surprised by. We've both been down like a retrospective um, spiral of the last few. Yeah, weeks, I've been yeah. I've been watching your Facebook feed with uh, great interest. <laughs> well, yeah, I watched um, and some of these we'll just let you know we're going to talk about on upcoming videos that we put on our um, social media. But I watched Let's Get Harry with. Um, Robert Duvall and the the pretty guy from uh, Sixteen Candles, <laughs> uh, Time Rider, which is one we're going to talk about on a video. Uh, Time Stalkers, Flashpoint. There's so many movies that I'd forgotten about. I remembered the covers and the poster art, and this, you know, fuck. I, I mean, I, when you when you posted that up, I like I haven't seen it in years, but I love Flashpoint. Yeah, like Flashpoint is a fantastic film, and. I made the huge mistake, and I think I commented this on your post, yep. but I made the huge mistake of reading the back of the the, <laughs> the VHS tape. Yep. And watching the film, I was like, this movie would have been a thousand times better had so I had zero is, idea about what I was going okay, into. so they gave way too much. They, they pretty much, they tell you what the twist is. Yep. Like, they allude to the twist yep. before... Like, and the, like the, that's the catch. Like, like yeah, yeah, like that's the reason for watching the film or whatever. Yeah. And you're like, this is like this would have been so much better had I had no idea. Yeah. And and then been just as shocked as Treat Williams and Chris <laughs> Christopherson are when they figure out what the fuck they've stumbled onto. Yeah. It would have been so much better. They should have um just sold it like holes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit Anyway um, Yeah We've been watching Some great movies And we're going to start Doing some focus videos On them for everybody At uh, at home watching And listening And Let's jump into The theme of this episode In a few minutes But first We're just going to do A little bit of a Betty White checkup. up um, She's still kicking goals mate 
Excellent. Yep. Um, Excellent. But um, as far as I can see, one person passed away in the last week, and that was Paul Ritter, uh, star of one of the Harry Potter films, Son of Rambo, Quantum of Solace. And he was he like a little kid instead of Rambo? No, no, no. He was um, an adult. He's, you'll know him if you see his face. He was actually in Chernobyl recently, the TV show. Do yeah, you? I haven't watched any okay. of that. Uh... Anyway, he was 54 years old, uh, suffered a brain tumour. Very sad news. For those who are new to the show, maybe have never heard us you know, do this before, we do begin with a little bit of a memoriam, which has basically become an unfortunate celebrity death wash. But as Ben quite often says, just keep in check on Betty White. Yeah, because surely she's next, right? <laughs> I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to jinx her. I love Betty White. I'm a massive fan of the Golden Girls, but no way in hell did I pick that she would be the last, the last man standing. No, she was the oldest of the Golden Girls. She was the oldest. Yeah, incredible. Um, anyway, but we're going to chuck things over to Jared in just a minute. But before we do, let's quickly let everybody know that you guys over at Monster Pictures have announced the Monster Fest dates for 2021, which is November 4th to 11, and it's going to be at Cinema Nova. It's a 10-year anniversary. The 10th, the 10th festival, not counting 2010's Fantastic Asia Film Festival, which is where Monster Fest sprung from. Yes, and no doubt you guys have got some special stuff in store i don't expect you to reveal any of it but um it's a bit early a bit early to reveal anything but um yeah i think the um the art the art is underway yep the 10th anniversary art and there'll be, there'll be some awesome stuff related to that uh being announced uh i don't know when soon I amazing guess. well most people that do listen to this show are big fans of monster fest so and no doubt most of them know about it but if you don't know monster fest or you're coming to us from overseas then definitely check it out what's the website there ben uh monsterfest.com.au there you go speaking of monster fest here's Jarrett with a look at what's been released on physical media this week Hey, this is Jarrett and welcome to PE Class. Now I'm going to kick off this week's segment with a little bit of news and local news, in fact. And that's on June 16th, Universal Sony Pictures Home Entertainment will release the Indiana Jones Quadrilogy on 4K Ultra HD. That's right, you'll be able to own Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, and of course, Indiana Jones and those fucking CGI monkeys that Glenn didn't seem to mind, all on 4K Ultra HD all in the one set and all with Dolby Atmos, Dolby Vision and an abundance of special features. That's coming out June 16th, mark it down in your diary. Also on that very same date, Universal Sony Pictures Home Entertainment will release the current theatrical release Nobody with Bob Odenkirk on 4K Ultra HD, Blu-ray and DVD. But hear what I said, it's coming out in 4K Ultra HD. That's awesome. I was a huge fan of this film and I will be picking it up day one on 4K Ultra HD. At this stage, there are no technical specs or special features to report in on but my enthusiasm for this release could not be greater. Then in international news, arriving on May 11th in the United States on 4K Ultra HD is Saw. That's right, Saw will get its 4K debut in the US, and this release will have Dolby Vision, Dolby Atmos, it'll be the unrated cut of the movie, which was the MA classified version in Australia, plus all the legacy special features on there as well. So that's it for news. Moving on to this week's releases, from Roadshow, we've got some great releases coming out. We've got Shadow in the Clouds coming out on Blu-ray and DVD. This is a New Zealand production with Chloe Grace Moretz in the lead, and it was co-written by Max Landis, and that's kind of box office poison, so we, we won't really talk about that so much. Anyway, this was a cool little sleeper film, so it's great to see it's getting the Blu-ray release locally. I don't know if it's got any special features on it. 
hopefully it will have at the very least uh, some making of featurette. Then also out that very same day is Wrong Turn on Blu-ray and DVD. This is the very loose remake of Wrong Turn. So loose in fact that's really only the title. It's pretty much a different film. Another kind of backwards horror with the same title. Uh, this one did big box office locally here in Australia when it had its sort of uh, I won't even say limited release. I think this thing opened on about 120, if not 150 screens across Australia. So it was a pretty big release and it did pretty good box office as well. So that one's coming out on Blu-ray and DVD. Again, great to see a genre film coming out on Blu-ray locally. Also coming out from Roadshow is a film that I don't really need to talk about because everyone's seen it. And that's The Dry coming out on Blu-ray and DVD. And then Penguin Bloom is coming out on Blu-ray and DVD that same date also. So it's a big day for Roadshow with all those releases. Then Eagle Entertainment will be releasing Neil Marshall's latest The Reckoning on Blu-ray and DVD. And this is a welcome release in terms of Blu-ray for Eagle Entertainment. Say what you will about the film itself. The fact that it's coming out on Blu-ray is fantastic. Again, it's really good to see a genre film coming out on Blu-ray locally. So my hat's off to Eagle Entertainment for that one. Then coming out from Madman Entertainment is Willy's Wonderland on Blu-ray and DVD. This is that Nicolas Cage film that is awfully familiar of that video game Five Nights at Freddy's and it just did nothing for me in all honesty. Like great concept but it borrowed from somewhere else and Nicolas Cage is in this movie without a line of dialogue. Uh, it's just it's just such a, I don't know, missed opportunity really because I mean the concept sound but the film is just the execution just, just wasn't there. Anyway that one's getting a release on Blu-ray and DVD again. Great to see that's getting a Blu-ray release. Then also coming out from Mad Men that same day is The Marksman on Blu-ray and DVD with Liam Neeson. So anyway, that's it for me for this week. So until next time, stay physical. Oh, those fucking monkeys. Like, that's actually my only criticism of Indiana Jones 4 is those monkeys. It's the, like, yeah. I like them. At least they weren't flying. Yeah, I'm one of those lone defenders but of that I, film. Yeah, I mean... My- my my only like I didn't I didn't even notice the monkeys like the the and it is I think the biggest problem I had with it was those matte backgrounds don't work on a digital yeah like they look they look like matte backgrounds which True. is unfortunate but apart from that I, and that was the, that was the thing that really kind of struck me that kind of took me out of the film but other than that like it was the the Shia LaBeouf's... Swing him um, on the fucking vines. That's That was more my problem oh, than the no, monkeys. No, I don't mind any of that. Like, that's <laughs> that's just Indiana Jones stuff. Yeah. The, the stuff... I just didn't like the... Like, I guess it's because it's been appropriated, but the the Marlon Brando wild one oh, style yeah, of biker, yeah, and you're yeah. like, this just doesn't look... They were trying to do, like, a little nod, and it, yeah. just, it became too gimmicky, but... um, Because like, I think, like, we're so used to now the Hells Angels, like, yeah. it's like the Hells Angels type denim wearing bikers, so when you watch the leather one, it looks like, it looks like something Kitchen. out of a village people <laughs> kind of song, and you're like... These guys are supposed to be tough, but it just. Oh, you know, I did like the fight. I did like the fight scene in the. Uh, I I do like the film a lot, and look, it got to the point I was defending the film so much from criticism that I actually wrote an article about it, why I defend it, uh, laid out all of my reasons, and so whenever <laughs> whenever people ask me about it now, I just link them. Like just read this, <laughs> read this. So go to fakechamp.net, type in Indiana Jones four, and you know there you go. Anyway, Jarrett from Monster Pictures, thank you, mate. Solid stuff as always. I'm actually dead keen to get my hands on Shadow in the Cloud too. That's one that I'm very keen on. That um, comes oh. out on DVD or Blu-ray. It's um, a great movie. I thoroughly enjoyed oh, it. Awesome. Chris Thompson reviewed it for Fake Champ. Um, he loved it, so I'm really chomping at the bit for that we one. We tried to get it for Monster Fest last year, but there was some shenanigans going on with the uh, with 
the well, I'm, I'm also I'm led to agent. I'm led to believe that the le- the less you know about that film, the, the better it is. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, cool. Well, we'll leave it at that for everybody that hasn't seen it. Um, I'd go into it blind. So anyway, let's talk about Neil Marshall. I mean, this is the guy that burst onto the scenes in the early 2000s and has essentially become one of those, I guess you could say, figureheads when it comes to horror directors. He's sort of a go-to name amongst a lot of the you know popular horror you know patrons, I guess. Let's do the obvious thing and go right back to the start with Dog Soldiers from 2002. Today you believed there was a line between myth and reality. Those things out there are real. You know what lives in the shadows now. Right, dude, so this one. Uh, Sean Pertwee, legendary Sean Pertwee, I love the guy. Kevin Kidd, Emma Cleesey. McKidd. Is it McKid, is it? Kevin McKid. Kevin McKid. Um, Emma Cleesby and Liam Cunningham. Dude. Do you and like... and uh, Neil Marshall staple, Leslie Simpson. And Leslie Simpson, of Don't course. Forget, like, he'll come up later on. Yep. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, I, look, I love this movie, but I didn't love it. When it first came out, I was not a huge fan of it. I saw it theatrically, I believe. I saw it at, uh, like, you know, the um, Burke Street Cinema Centre or... Oh, the Hoyts. The Hoyts. Kirk Street Hoyts. Yes. Because there were both. There was Hoyts and Village. It depends on... It was the Hoyts. The Hoyts. Yeah. And I remember being underwhelmed by it. I think I I probably didn't know how low budget it was and sort of just, I don't know, came out underwhelmed. But then going back to it years later, I just, I really took to it. Really like it. Like, I think I, I didn't, I didn't watch it theatrically. Yep. Uh, I saw it on video and I kind of, it took a while to see it because I, because of Sean Pertwee. Because yep. I think I'd, I'd seen Blue Juice. I was about I, to say, Blue Juice is where I was introduced to him. Which And like, I was not a big fan of Blue Juice. And I was like, I don't want to watch this guy. Like, you know, like his dad's Wurzel Gummidge. <laughs> yeah. Like, why am I watching the son? Like, I mean, if you can't even get, if you can't even get Wurzel Gummidge, you're getting the son of Wurzel Gummidge. Oh, he was also what? Doctor Who. Come on. Well, yeah, okay. Sure. <laughs> sure. But who's, who of our listeners, I think it's more likely that our listeners have heard of Wurzel Gummidge than of Doctor Who. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> What? <laughs> Fact. <laughs> um, well, let's go through the uh, basic premise of the film is a group of British soldiers on a routine exercise in the Scottish Highlands find themselves essentially on a full assault against a pack of whales. It's like aliens really, in the forest. He really does think that fucked up things have always happen in Scotland. <laughs> yeah, that was interesting. Everything he's done practically is Scottish. It's like and I went and I'm like, maybe he is Scottish, but he's British. He's British. He's yeah. not. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, like, you know, we all have our thing. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> he's just anti-Connery. That's all it is. Yeah. Well, I think the film kind of, it, it adheres to most of those werewolf tropes, but I think um, he kind of subverted it a little more by focusing more on the soldiers. You know, like I think there's much more human story in there than monster story. Yeah. Well, I mean, because I guess typically in, in a horror movie, it's it's theoretically, it's everyday people dealing with the extraordinary. Yeah. And then it always adds a slightly different uh, element to it if you can have extraordinary, the extraordinary happening to extraordinary people. Yep. Yep. Like, you know, so theoretically they've got, uh, you know, they're trained to handle this kind of thing, but I mean, who's trained to handle a pack of werewolves? <laughs> well, you think the military of all people would probably have a pretty good handle on it? Yeah, 
But, like, I mean, look, my, my knowledge of the military only goes so far as movies. And in every movie I've ever seen, every time you get the military involved, it's always a massive clusterfuck. Like, when it's the military in general. Like, yeah. like small units of incredibly talented uh, mm-hmm. individuals. And then, but as a whole, just a mess. You might You might know the answer to this, but I think it was probably one of the first movies that, did the werewolf thing from a military perspective? Like, I, I yeah, I don't think uh... <laughs> has it been done since? Like, no, I don't. I mean, I don't think so. Like, I'm just trying to think, but it's not like I've got a massive knowledge of of uh, like werewolf movies. But uh, I don't think no. That's what makes it unique to me. I think that's probably the second passing of the film is where I really clicked with it. And like, oh, yeah. this is really. I mean, they kind strange, of in, in the unique. In the underworld movies, they militarize yeah werewolves and they militarize vampires. Yep. But they're not. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, know. they um apparently Neil Marshall and his producers tried to get a sequel off the ground. Spent like years trying to get right. a Dog Soldiers. I think Fresh Meat was the name of it, off the ground. Not the most original name for a werewolf movie. But like, like if you think about it, like they could have done like how awesome would a prequel have been? Oh. Like a World War Two movie. Yep. Where there's a a crack unit of werewolf soldiers who take on the Nazis. <laughs> yeah. Like how like mix that with um. Overlord, yep. where the Nazis have made zombies, and it's the up to the werewolf, the werewolf brigade. Well, like, fucking hell, I've just, I've just the stuffed all over the <laughs> underside of your table, thinking about that movie. <laughs> Little bit got on me. <laughs> <laughs> Some got in my mouth, but <laughs> I, I understand. Uh, but no, apparently he is on the record. He said that he wanted to do a trilogy to begin with, and there's a like, moment. Why won't they let him do well, that? Apparently, there's a moment in Dog Soldiers. I don't know what it is, but he said there's a moment in there which was his stepping point to the next one. Right. So he set it up to be able to connect. Yeah. Um, like if, if they would have given him the money that they, the money that he had to make Hellboy, he could have made five or Dog Soldier movies, and they would have been. Awesome. Well, I mean, yeah, he has also said too much time has passed now for it to happen. So it's now, now we can just completely reboot it. Yes. Do we want that though? No. I'm not anti. I'm not anti a reboot. Sometimes they're terrible, but sometimes they're all right. Give me a smile. This is it. It's beautiful. I can't breathe. Okay, move now. What was that? I saw someone! The Descend. In theaters everywhere, August 4th. And yep, that does bring us to his next film, which was 2005's The Descent. Um, I think... I think so much of the horror community would probably agree that The Descent is one of the scariest fucking movies ever made. Fucking oath. Yeah, it is... Um, it terrified me. I came out of the cinema. You know, people like us that see horror films all the time don't particularly get scared that often in horror films. But this one, not only did it just sort of, you know, bank on those reliable tropes of jump scares, it was just genuinely tense. Well, I mean, look, to be honest with you, that's... <laughs> one thing I inherited from my mother is the uh, <laughs> the the jump scare uh, effectiveness. Like, it doesn't take much for me. And I'm a I'm a big boy. And so when I jump in a cinema seat, everyone in the surrounding three rows knows about it. And it's covered in popcorn. And uh, I did it constantly during the descent to the point where about 15, 20 minutes in, I was kind of I was staring at the ceiling of the cinema going, why am I doing this to myself? 
Like I should just watch this at home. Do you ever like squint your eyes? Like you sort of like. No, I I just look away, going, "It's just a movie. <laughs> it's not real." This is the guy from Monster Fest, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Big chicken. He struggles every year. <laughs> but so. I reckon it's fair to say that this is almost the same premise as Dog Soldiers, really. It's a bunch of women, though, that have been put into an environment where they're being stalked by creatures, and this time they're subterranean, later referred to as crawlers. Um, mm. Yeah, dead set scary. I shit and myself when I first saw it. Leslie Simpson is in this one again, but this is the second, because I have met Leslie Simpson, because he does live in Australia, also, I have met, funnily enough, at the video store I used to work at, Natalie Mendoza used to come in. Yeah, right. Because her and her sister, I don't know if you remember, but her and her sister were in a pop band called Jackson Mendoza. Oh my God. I, know, I remember the name for some reason. Uh, that was, that was uh, Nat- I can't remember the other sister's name, but they used to come in with this guy. He was a member. His name was Andrew Kalen. And he was the coolest dude. He was like the modern day Fonz. He used to come in to the video store. He used to have a... <laughs> he, would have a, he had a convertible, and he, in his convertible, in the every time I had to charge him late fees, because he was always late with his tapes, he would have this ashtray f- just full of gold coins. Yeah. And he would always, he would come in like in a bathrobe, and like nothing else. He just like, like it was a, like a, like he, like he was um, a smoking jacket, like Hef's smoking jacket, but it was just like a, a, a bathrobe with the two Mendoza sisters who were like stunning. And just be like, you know, and try and get out of paying late fees. And I'd be like, dude, you haven't rewound any of the tapes. <laughs> I know that there is, and you like, he owned, um, he part owned a, like a fancy pants strip club in the, it wasn't a strip club. It was, it was like a, it was a restaurant where all the waitresses wore kind of sheer, yep. sheer dresses. So like see-through, see-through dresses not quite and thongs. So not quite hooters, <laughs> but not, not a strip club either. Yeah. And like, he, it was just like for for 18-year-old Ben... Oh, my God. This guy was the man. <laughs> man. Uh, Isn't there a Simpsons reference to Mendoza? <laughs> Mendoza! Mendoza! <laughs> yeah, he's one of the... <laughs> he's one of the villains. <laughs> anyway. Uh, no relation. Wolfgastle, I want this done by the book. Um, by book. I was, I was interested to read um, that Neil Marshall has also said that the influences for The Descent range from Deliverance, which I can see, The Thing... Obviously, but then Texas Chainsaw Massacre, that's an odd one. Well, because, like, a, yeah, I guess they're the kind of... Maybe number two, because it's subterranean. Because subterranean. <laughs> but, like, the, the, you know, the stuff in the house, like, it's, like, a lot of turns and stuff like that where you don't really know where you're going and... Yep. You know, they, it's... It, it, I guess, you know, to a degree, it's also, like, Silence of the Lambs when they, you know, the lights are off in the house yep. and, yeah, you that's know, true. they're running around, you don't know where you're going and it's, like, a, mm. you know, you yeah. don't know who's... Who's chasing you? Like you don't expect a guy wearing a human skin mask with a chainsaw to, you know, pick you up and (laughs) shove you on a meat hook, or in this case, eat you. Eat you? Yeah, man. You know, yeah. Like you know, we're we're about to throw to Gamo, but um, this 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 film is the one film that I still talk to horror fans now, and they ask me what what's the scariest film I've ever seen. And I I can never really give them a definitive answer, but they always tell me this is the scariest film they've seen. You know. And then, of course, there was The Descent Part 2, which I think was quite a tense film as well. He only produced it, though. Um, but worth a look. Did you I enjoy have, that? I have not seen uh, The Descent 2. Well, there's one for you to put to your uh, list. Like, I really do, uh, really do want to go back and watch it. Yeah. Well, maybe you should. Like, that and Wreck 2. Gonna, like, you've, all you do is watch sequels. The ones I haven't... I've seen Part 3s. I haven't seen the sequels. Mm-hmm. 
What's going on everybody, it's Guillermo here again from ScreenRealm.com, the website covering all things movies and television. Hope everyone's doing well out there, I'm doing alright, although my knee's kind of itchy, but you know when you, it's itchy but underneath the skin, I've been scratching it for a while and I think I might go nuts because of it. Anywho, let's talk a little bit about what we've covered on the website in the past week, kicking off with the next film in the Rocky universe will not have... Rocky. That's right, Sylvester Stallone won't be appearing in the third Creed film, which is said to be directed by Michael B. Jordan. Stallone apparently revealed the news in response to a fan question on social media, and then The Hollywood Reporter confirmed it. No details have been released as to how Rocky's absence will be explained. The first Creed saw Rocky dealing with a diagnosis of lymphoma. In Creed 2, we left Rocky in Vancouver making peace with his estranged son and meeting his grandson for the first time. Creed 3, could Rocky be gone? Hopefully not, it may be possible that Rocky has simply left the ring completely behind now. It's your time, he told Jordan's Donnie towards the end of Creed 2. While Creed 3 won't have Stallone's beloved character, Rocky ain't gone yet. Stallone has officially finished editing his new cut of Rocky 4, so watch out for that new cut to drop soon, and Creed 3 is currently scheduled for US release on November 23rd, 2022. We got a trio of talent with director Sam Mendes, known for American Beauty in 1917, Skyfall, a number of other awesome films, and cinematographer Roger Deakins, known for No Country for Old Men, Blade Runner 2049, and a plethora of other films, and Oscar-winning actress Olivia Colman, who earned an Oscar for 2018's The Favourite, took home a Golden Globe for her performance as Queen Elizabeth II in Netflix's The Crown, and is this year Oscar-nominated for her turn opposite Anthony Hopkins in The Father. Sam Mendes will be directing Colman in Empire of Life which Mendes has also written. This is actually the first film Mendes has penned on his own he previously co-wrote 1917. Plot details are being kept under wraps, although it is known that the story will take place on England's south coast in the 80s. It's been described as a love story set in and around a beautiful old scene. Warner Brothers has decided to remove DC Films' New Guards and The Trench from its slate of upcoming movies. As the studio rejigs the future of its interconnected universe, they have reportedly found no room for New Guards, which was going to be directed by Ava DuVernay, Selma, A Wrinkle in Time, as well as The Trench, a planned Aquaman spin-off that had James Wan on board as producer. Among the reported reasons for removing the projects, the studio wants to give New Guards villain Darkseid more time away after being put back in the spotlight in Zack Snyder's Justice League, and Aquaman 2, with Wan apparently returning to direct is deemed to be enough for that side of the DC universe without needing a standalone film that would have been The Trench. We had Glenn review a Netflix film titled Concrete Cowboy starring Idris Elba and Caleb McLaughlin, hope I'm saying that right, a young actor from Stranger Things. The film is based on the novel Ghetto Cowboy and tells the fictionalized account of the Fletcher Street Urban Riding Club, a real-life horse stable in the middle of an urban Philadelphia neighborhood. Glenn enjoyed the film saying it has an immediate resemblance to John Singleton's iconic Boys in the Hood and follows a similar trajectory but said you may not anticipate the various nuances and revelations the film has along the way. The film, he said, at its heart is a father and son story, but it's also a snapshot of a forgotten or unknown aspect of Black America. He gave it three and a half out of five stars. Go to Screen Realm, read that whole review. And we've got a big new giveaway up on the website. We've teamed up with Warner Brothers Australia to give away 10 double passes to see Mortal Kombat in cinemas. That's right, we're celebrating the film's April 22nd release with a ticket giveaway, so go to ScreenRealm.com, check out the win page, and enter that now. That about does it for me, guys. Thanks so much for having me. ScreenRealm.com on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that jazz, I'm out of here.
Well, there's a catchy song that you probably know from an iPhone commercial or something. It's uh, it's also featured on Neil Marshall's Hellboy soundtrack. It's a song called The Devil You Know by the Ex-Ambassadors. I didn't even know who those guys were, but it's a pretty catchy song. I hope it put you in a good mood anyway. And before that, uh, Guillermo stepped in to lure you across the screen realm. You should probably indulge him. They've got pretty good stuff on their website. I say it every week. You know, it's fantastic. So head over to ScreenRealm.com and find them across all the social platforms too. Uh, so now we're waiting for the next Neil Marshall title, um, Doomsday. Who are you and where have you come from? On March 14th. There's something you don't see every day. Are you ready for Doomsday? Read it all. Starts March 14th. I was working in the video store when this came out. I watched it on new release video. I don't know if it got a theatrical release here. It probably did. It was you know, definitely of a scale. It must have. I saw it on DVD. Um, and it is, funnily enough, it is quite relevant to, oh, is <laughs> to, it to, ever? to what's going on uh, yeah. now. And I, I mentioned that to Neil uh, when I had a conversation with him, that, you know, this is an eerie kind of film. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I, like, I really do like Rona Mitra. Yep. Um, I've always liked her. Yep. Even, you know, in, in, and she's, you know, in bit parts and, and, you know, this, I think this is the first thing I'd seen her in where she'd had a lead role. Yeah, right. Um, and she'd kind of go on to, you know, starting out like, or being one of the early kind of Tomb Raider kind of models for the game. Yeah. But then that, I think this kind of like launched her into like kind of that action. Sure. Uh, thing. But I, you know, I, I quite enjoyed it. Like, and I, I couldn't remember anything about it. So I, I watched it again yep. today, funnily enough. Yeah. And uh, I was like, I don't remember. I don't <laughs> remember the, the scale of this film. Like it is huge. And it's like um, 28 days before. Well, that's what I was going to say. Like the influences are huge. Like, I mean, yep. and it is, look, I would say it's a very divisive film. A lot of people either love it or they hate it. Like they're very divided. But it is kind of Mad Max meets Lord of the Flies. There's a bit of a yeah, escape, like it definitely, escape from New York. You know? like, <laughs> funny thing is when I was watching, I was like, I was like, Mad Max Fury Road has ripped off this entire <laughs> end sequence. And then I was like, oh, hang on a second. Maybe this has ripped off uh, Mad Max 2. <laughs> yeah. There's even uh, like Dawn of the Dead in there. Like it is, a, yeah. it's, a, it's a mixed bag of... And it's, but it's very... I was like, this is Neil Marshall's Escape from New York. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Hands down. Like, uh, like it really has that kind of, you know, that, that, you know, when Kurt Russell, right at the start where yeah. he's going against all those guys who pop up from the sewers and stuff. And like, I think he'd is... be the first to, to admit that. Yeah, you know, I think he wore his influences on his sleeve, but I uh, just—if you've never seen it—the the concept of this one is the world has been devastated by a virus, uh, millions of people infected, and dumped into Scotland, and they're locked in you know, as as if that's going to be a sort of a solution to the problem. Um, Donald, I reckon Donald Trump was watching. Like they managed. He's <laughs> like, how how is it they were able to build a wall around the entire like half that continent, and I can't build a wall. <laughs> Across Mexico. <laughs> well, then, uh, 20 years later, the story picks up and there are survivors inside the, the quarantine. It's not even a quarantine zone, is it? It's, it's just a... Well, it's, it's, it is like Escape from New York where they've... Yeah, like, left to like die, New York is... Yeah, like it is, it is a quarantine zone. Yeah, and the fact that there are survivors means that there must be some kind of cure, cure. to be found. And now the British government um, believes... Uh, sends in a, a group of people to, to go in it's, and they, they discover a sort of a barbaric dystopian kind of yeah, wasteland. And, of course, and who's who's leading the barbarian hordes? Who's returned it to like a feudal it's a weird mix between <laughs> between punks and knights. Yeah. <laughs> like like uh, but who's yeah who, who's leading it? Who else? Who else? If you if you could if you were casting British actors yep. to lead to be like King Arthur in a 
kind of medieval, modern day medieval kind of uh, feudal. Are we talking Malcolm McDowell? Malcolm McDowell. Like, who else would you cast? <laughs> Perfect. It's true. Perfect I casting. forgot that bloody um, Bob Hoskins was in it. Yeah, Bob I... Hoskins, like you know, playing playing a cop, playing the same. I figure kind of the same character that he plays he plays in uh, Lassiter. Oh, dude, but that, like twenty years later. That like that love explosion you had under the desk before is how I feel whenever Bob Hoskins <laughs> pops up on screen. Is it a film? <laughs> yeah. um, here's one thing. Like what, speaking of influences, according to Wikipedia and IMDb, um, Marshall did make this as a tribute, and some of the films he cited as his major influence were Mad Max, The Warriors, Waterworld, Amiga Man, and even Children of Men. Right, you know, which I think all of those are in there. It to me, it it's like I I have no I have very poor like time uh, skills. Like I would have <laughs> thought this was made before Children of Men, but uh, no, probably within the five year five time year, frame. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, which that's that's a bloody marvelous film. Children of Men. Yeah, yeah, that's incredible. Um, so yeah, look, I think this is one of his more forgotten and underrated films which is remarkable considering the scope of it's like like it is a shockingly large film like Um, perhaps the fact that was like an australian r rating too like it just didn't hit the bigger audience yeah for me i mean for me that just made it all the more attractive (laughs) absolutely appealing like and then some uh and then there was centurion I saw them take him away in chains. Which way? North. Then we follow north. I am a soldier! Oh, I'm a lucky! Centurion premieres in theaters Friday, August 27th. Can't wait? Now you can watch it before it hits theaters. I fucking love this film. Yeah, do you? Like, I love Centurion. Like, for me, like, <laughs> I like Dog Soldiers and I like Doomsday and I like The Descent, but I fucking love Centurion. You're not going to bring up any kind of Ridley Scott? Stuff here, right? No, because <laughs> that other film you always talk about. You mean Kingdom of Heaven? <laughs> there it is. There no, it is. This is a this is a different time period. Like they're both historical, uh, though, historical, that, historical yeah. dramas. But I do like. Funnily enough, I've read a lot of kind of alternate time history books about the Ninth Legion and what yeah. happened to them. Like it is a big thing in that if you're into that kind of Roman era fiction. Yeah. Uh, uh, thing and uh, but like the the violence is so f- like in all of Marshall's films yeah. the violence is fucking awesome and in this like he goes like where the rest of his if the rest of his films are a seven Centurion it's a ten and uh, <laughs> it's got a great car like Imogen Poots popped up in it and I was like I and like I watched it I watched it again and I was like I, the first time I watched this I had no idea who she was yeah right and she is great in it. Olga Kurilenko, like all the women are fantastic, but um, <laughs> there's a funny thing because this would have been made before, uh, what's that? This uh, is 2010. 2010, so I just can't, who's the, who's the, what's the lead actor's name again? Um, Michael Fassbender. Michael Fassbender, like yeah. this was made before uh, the movie where he gets his junk out. Oh God, what was that? I know the one you mean, like, um, who can forget that? Yeah. <laughs> Whatever that is. And there is a scene where he's pissing in the stream and Imogen Poots catches him and kind of t- you know, tells him basically that he's pissing on his dinner. Oh, mate. And you're like, you're like I'm surprised her eyes didn't pop out of her head. <laughs> that my, guy's like a walking tripod. My biggest regret here was just not revisiting this one in time for this discussion because right. I watched it when it was a new release. Did enjoy it a lot, but never went back for seconds. Uh, like it, is, it is totally worth it. Like, And it's Liam Cunningham again. Like the the... Uh, is that was it Neil Morrissey or whatever his name is, who's like in Walking Dead? I always uh, get his 
he's not the he's not the singer Morrissey, but he's like a <laughs> he's got a similar name. He's in Walking Dead, like the the little kind of troop that they the unit that kind of survives after the Ninth Legion is massacred the, yeah. in the kind of first you know act of the film. Like it's just like everyone in it is awesome. It's like it is like the the kind of group in Kingdom of Heaven that get killed right at the start, and you're like. These guys, I was expecting these guys to be the Dirty Dozen. And then, when I, funnily enough, when I went back and listened to the Ridley Scott commentary, he's like, the, he goes, the biggest complaint I got about this film is that uh, everyone was like, why'd you kill all those guys at the start? And he goes, I did it because that totally fucked up your expectations. Well, there it is. Like That but was going to come into it regardless. It's going it's to happen. But, uh, but for those listening that are completely confused, like a little bit of a synopsis for this one, it is a, it's set in, what, 117 AD, focuses on a group of soldiers of the Ninth Legion uh, as the Roman Empire struggles to conquer Scotland once again. Well, yeah, it's during the, the, the British invasion, which was a like a huge fuck for the Roman But it's Empire. one particular sort of platoon that gets stuck behind enemy lines. Well, yeah, because the, the, they... Michael Fassbender's character, like his fort is overrun by the Picts. Yeah. And he's basically kidnapped. Uh, and uh, Dominic West, I think it's Dominic West. Yep. Uh, he's the general who, in charge of the Ninth Legion, is basically sent to not so much rescue him, but to wipe out the. I think yeah, because Fassbender kind of escapes magically, but he's sent to wipe out the Picts and kind of and uh, so that the senate, the senator who's kind of there in charge of the Roman legions, can return to Rome in triumph because they all hate being stuck in yeah. wet Britain. Yep. And, uh, but then they, they are slaughtered. They basically are sl- on the way are slaughtered. And the only people left is this kind of small group, um, this like five or six man kind of team. Yep. And they're stuck way behind enemy lines and they're being hunted by a, by a war band of picks and they just want to try and get home. So it is very much like the warriors in that, yep. in that regard or the, the Odyssey yeah, or whatever sure. you want to. Yeah, I think it's fair to say too, the film reaffirmed him at the time as a reliable filmmaker. I think a little bit of confidence was lost with Doomsday to sort of amongst, you know, because it was so maligned. You know, yeah, Doomsday well, I, was just, I don't see what... it just tore people down the middle. And I just think this reaffirmed that, you know, this is a guy yeah. that knows what he's doing for sure. The production design on this one is just phenomenal. Amazing. And yeah. like I said, like the violence is incredible. Yep, yep, for sure. And then came Hellboy. You came into the world, summoned from the depths of hell as a weapon, turned into a force for good. We're the line in the sand. We fight against the forces of darkness. If there is ever an end in this forever war, it will be because of your strong right hand. Sorry, I interrupt. Hellboy, rated R, equal 12. What, what's with all the hate? Like, what's with all the hate? Well, the funny thing is, like, I've I've only seen like the first ten minutes of Hellboy or fifteen yeah. minutes of Hellboy because because Jared Garn, <laughs> uh, you know, Good Movie Monday contributor Jared Garn went to see it at a preview screening mm-hmm. and he poo pooed it so badly <laughs> that I was like, well, look, because I wasn't a fan of the Guillermo del Toro ones. Well, here's the thing, I like this one more than those. Those, yeah, I like I I didn't. I didn't bother watching the second one. Yeah. I watched the first one and I was like, yeah, I really like, I thought it went against the whole kind of the, the spirit of the Hellboy comic. For sure. And I, look, don't get me wrong. I think Del Toro's films are, are technically better. I think they are much more cinematic, but I think 
Neil Marshall's uh, take on this. The Cinem- 2019. Thomas Hayden Church as a lobster. Like, Mate. You don't get much more cinematic than that guy as an action star. I just think this film taps into something entirely different. I'm not familiar with the comic books, but I like the humour of this film a lot more. Yeah. Uh, I like how fucking gory it is. Like, it is really gory. Like I, like, like I said, I've only watched the first like 10 minutes yep. or so, but that Mexican wrestling scene at the start where the guy turns into the giant Batman. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking awesome! <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and uh, look, I've, what's the, the what's the guy's name that plays Hellboy? David um, Harbour is it? From David Harbour, Stranger yeah. Stranger Things. I liked him a lot more than I liked Ron Perlman in the role. Like, I really think this guy understood the character. I feel like he's like fifty years younger than Ron Perlman. Well, he also well, apparently though, like I was reading Wikipedia that um, he uh, he only backed out. Perlman only backed out because they gave it to Marshall yeah, instead yeah. of uh, Del Toro. Del Toro because they didn't involve like. Yep. Mike Mignola or, and uh, whoever else wrote it. Yep. Did it without him and were like because it was supposed to it was supposed to be the sequel to Golden Army or whatever. Yeah, yeah, for sure it was. Called. And then but it ended up taking so long to happen that they just Yep. like let's just reboot the whole Hellboy franchise. Yep. I oh, look look the only my my only criticism here is that it was just way too heavy on CGI. Like it really rely all the gory CGI it really relies on, you know, right. that. But, you know, but it is depraved and disgusting and I think this Hellboy acts like a 16 year old teenager and sooks a lot I, guess, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> I love that well he just likes to get pissed which I enjoy but and like that the Mila Jovovich yeah. kind of yeah. like death scene at the start like yeah. is like getting a hand cut off and the severed head like yeah. talking at them and stuff I'm like this is oh, pretty you're good you're going to have to go back and watch it because you know if you persevere you'll see her being reassembled and that's just right. glorious you know all these parts <laughs> that are getting put together yeah it's just it, I like it it's a lot of fun um, and the idea if she would then go on to become Frankenhooker that would have been even better <laughs> that has to be an influence like for sure the stitches <laughs> around the neck <laughs> Uh, but anyway, it's time to hear what the Boneheads think about Neil Marshall. Let's um, throw to them and then Adam in a little bit. Welcome to Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. Uh, once again, we're really jealous of Glenn because he has one of our one of my favorite directors on there who made a couple of my favorite movies of all time, Neil Marshall. And by the way, I've said this before. Seriously, Neil, drop the zero. Get with uh, other people. The other people that would be us. Yeah, we'd love to have you on. Nero, get with Nero. Nero, yes, yes. You're just no, some... we don't fiddle at all, but we marry horses. Oh, <laughs> great historical humor. Anyway, I discovered him with Dog Soldiers, like everyone else, and Dog Soldiers is one of the it's actually probably my top three or four best werewolf films of all time. I put it up there with an American Werewolf in London. Yeah, it's aliens with werewolves. Right, he took yeah. aliens and put it in the forest and had werewolves, and the werewolves are kick-ass. And he did it all in low budget, and that movie looks fantastic. Yes, it's shot well. Yes, it's directed well, but that's just a great cast. He was yeah. smart to get a great cast because when I watch a lot of low budget films, a lot of the acting's awful. There's not one bad performance in Dog Soldiers. And I will watch anything with Sean Pertwee. I'm probably butchering that name, and I apologize. But. That's okay. Well, on top of that, he also, I mean. He's probably played an archer. The only person play, that's played archer more is Scott Bakula. Oh, and <laughs> oh, oh, so which, which led me to the descent. And the descent actually is one of the scariest movies of all time to me because I'm claustrophobic and it's so well made. It's uh, I, one of you I saw it with in the theater and I screamed out loud during it out loud, out loud, right? I, I hadn't did that ever. I have seen so much shit 
Serbian film, whatever. I screamed out loud. I have to give credit to Doomsday. I love Doomsday on such an epic level. Everything about that movie, just I love it because it's homage, but it's also all this fun. Yeah, we're going to take Malcolm McDowell and just put him in a blender. Yeah, but you've got Malcolm McDowell. It's just, and Rona Mitra, who doesn't get enough credit as an actress. I love Doomsday. Doomsday is just a lot of fun, and I can watch it time and time again. Actually, just that opening, I, I love know. the narration. And the, the cannibal scene, man, it's still, that is that is a piece of work. Well, and you've also got Alexander Siddig, and as I've already shown, I'm a huge Star Trek nerd, so it was, it's just great. I mean, it's Everything really the best there. movie that uses the fine young cannibal song better than any other movie. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> good thing right as they're getting ready to do the fight yeah where have you got i'm not going to start doing that yeah let's not <laughs> one of my other favorite things he directed may be the best game of thrones episode of all time where he also played an archer shut up james <laughs> he did look it up i don't doubt that he didn't play an archer i'm just trying to give the man credit for directing goodly well i i was very and by the way Jeremy Renner is somewhere crying, by the way, about that. Jeremy Renner needs to cry because he doesn't have superpowers. Keep going. He he was an archer in Centurion as well. I'm just saying I'm very convinced that every time I see him as an archer. So if you come on Bonehead Weekly, we're just going to ask you questions about your quiver. What what sort of test line do you use on your <laughs> bow and arrow there? All right. <laughs> Anything else? Watch all his movies there. And TV shows that he's done. So oh, he's, Lost done, he's, space. he's got yeah, Lost in Space, Hannibal, Game of Thrones, Black oh, Sails. I forgot he directed Hannibal. Wonderful. Hannibal. How did it ever make on NBC? This has been Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. Hey guys, it's Adam here from Adam's Just Seen with another Good Movie Monday recommendation. Now, the Snyder Cut had me thinking about Ben Affleck. It started had me thinking about him as an actor, had me thinking about him as a filmmaker, and give or take, my favourite Ben Affleck joint is The Town. Now, this movie stars by him, stars him, and is directed by him, and solidified in my mind that he is a genuinely excellent filmmaker. I love gone baby gone i thought that that was one of the biggest surprises as a directorial debut from an actor that i borderline ever seen uh, i think that argo is rock and roll but the town is the film of his that i revisit the most this thing has got great atmosphere it's got an incredible cast so you've got ben leading here rebecca hall who's basically good in everything john ham rock solid as usual but jeremy renner here in a supporting role one that he was oscar nominated for is just you know is indelible he's a really really unforgettable character this movie is punctuated with a bunch of action sequences that give you know their their homages to heat and honestly they borderline live up to it i mean this movie thumps these scenes punch they are scary as hell you know affleck has been obviously studying the masters and he emulates them incredibly well here in this movie I, this movie's got something that i find is lacking in you know the majority of modern film it's got genuine attitude um i don't think that this movie has been around long enough to kind of have the reverence that it should i feel like it kind of slips through the cracks there is an extended cut on blu-ray which as we're talking about every second movie that comes out these days there are longer cuts of movies that add character and nuance and the extended version of the town does that in spades so it's an excellent film the extended version and something that i revisit frequently so yeah so if you haven't seen this this is a bank heist movie par excellence so check it out five stars from me for the town thank you adam uh, you can find his work on adam's just scenes facebook page as well as his work on triple m and ticker tv and you know last year on the show adam raved about the way back that other affleck film i think he's got a heart on for affleck
Who does it? Well, you've already you've already <laughs> blown your once on this show, mate. Yeah, <laughs> like like it, it, it's going to take a while for me to be able to blow a one again. But I can <laughs> I can I can get a hard on. I just can't complete. Oh. It's going to take a while to complete. What have I? And encouraged? when I do, it will be disappointing. <laughs> What have I encouraged here, man? Be a dribble. Uh, <laughs> before that was the Bonehead Weekly guys, Joe, Chad, and James, picking up on our Neil Marshall conversation. So thanks, guys, for that. Which brings us to the Reckoning. This is um this is Neil's latest film, and uh, we've saved this episode's drawcard interview until the end uh, to close the show off with a conversation about the film. Better to hear it from the horse's mouth. So here it is, Neil Marshall. Neil Marshall, welcome to Good Movie Monday. It goes without saying, this is a huge pleasure for us. How are you, mate? I'm good. I'm good. I'm sitting here in snowy London at the moment. You look nice and cozy. Yeah, well, <laughs> wrapped up warm. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get stuck straight into it. The the reckoning. How long has this film been floating around in your head for? Um. Surprisingly, not that long. Um, the idea uh, first sort of came to me in 2018. So, like in, in movie terms, it's quite a quick turnaround because it was it was written in 2018, uh, shot in 2019, and the only reason for the delay in releasing it was, of course, COVID. So, um, yeah, I mean, it would have been like a three year turnaround, which for in terms of independent movies is actually pretty quick. So, yeah. yeah. For sure. Um, for the benefit of our listeners who perhaps some of them haven't heard of the film, can you describe it in, let's say, under 20 seconds? <laughs> yeah, under 20 seconds. Well, you uh, can go a bit longer if you want to. Um, it's set in 1665, the year of the Great Plague. Uh, no coincidence. Um, and it's about a, 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 an innocent woman who's accused of being a witch. Um, and this was during the time of the witch hunts in England. And uh, yeah, she's falsely accused of being a witch and undergoes a series of trials before getting revenge upon all the various men who have inflicted uh, torment upon her. For sure. Perfectly done. And plague doctor costumes, they really lend themselves to horror. <laughs> was working with the, Was working with the plague era of um, sort of, you know, genre, you know, rich for creative picking. Uh, well, it, it was actually, you know, when I was developing the script, it was a choice between setting it at the, in this period or earlier, sort of during more medieval Black Death kind of times. Um, and I kind of felt that that had been covered a lot more in movies, whereas this period has not. I mean, if you think about like Witchfinder General, A Field in England, you know, there's a handful of films that are set around this period just after the English Civil War. The Great Plague hits. The year after this was the Great Fire of London. Um, it was kind of a it was a, it was a rich time to explore, and visually it's really interesting. And the Plague Doctors, that look, that vibe with the masks and stuff, was more prevalent in that time, not the medieval time. So um, it seemed more appropriate for that. People, you know, um, might see those costumes and think that they are sort of just designed for the horror genre, but that's really how they look. They they had these massive beaks. I think they stuffed herbs yeah. and and things to sort of protect them in there. Yeah, I mean, uh, why they decided to make them look like that is beyond me. But it, yes, it was that the, the beaks were stuffed with various herbs and things that they believed the smell of these herbs would protect them from the plague. They thought that 
they thought that infection was carried in smell and not just in other means. So, um, yeah, but, but it's kind of, you know, symbolic now that we're, we're wearing masks again now because of plagues. So. <laughs> no, that's twice you've done that because, um, yeah, doomsday is uh, very, very eerie in today's world. If you look back at it, <laughs> it is. Yeah. They're both, they're both pretty close, really alarmingly close to, uh, to what's happened. Sure. Well, the um the fantasy sequences in this are really delicious, and there's definitely I think a hacks on sort of quality to some of those images. Were there films that really influenced your choices that you made when you were doing this film? Hacks on being one of them. When I you know, discovered that, and and just some of the imagery in that film is is absolutely astonishing. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, like I, I I actually made a point not to watch Witchfinder General again in the lead up to doing the film. I'd like I've seen it years ago and I love it, but I didn't want to have that fresh in my mind when I when I made this movie. Um, and so I was trying to conjure up you know original stuff as much as possible. Yeah, well, I think you've done a fantastic job at it, and um, I think you take this film into some very sort of grim and graphic places without the camera so much as flinching. Did you have to cut much of it sort of to appease the senses? No, I I deliberately, like I wanted, like I never wanted to make a torture porn film. I'm not interested in that as a genre. I'm not interested in watching it or making it. So I, I, I knew I had to deal with torture in this because that's the historical fact. And we're dealing with the fact that all these poor women, mostly women, had to endure all this and, and most of them died because of it. But uh, so I, I had to be kind of true to the subject matter, but at the same time, not dwell on it. And so mm -hmm. my thought was that I imply a lot of what's happening. Um, we, we, uh, you, you, you see the build up to what's going to happen. You know what's going to happen. You, in some cases, you're actually told what's going to happen, but then we don't stay and watch it happen. We leave it and come back later on. Um, and I felt that was by far the best way of doing it. it was like, okay, that's enough. We don't need any more. The implication is is more than horrific. So, um, but yeah, all the all the torture methods and there's, there's really like essentially two main torture scenes, um, but uh, they're all based on historical fact of these this witch pricking thing was real. They used to I had these needles and just like relentlessly stab people because it was like non-lethal but very painful. Um, and then uh, the, the the infamous pair of anguish. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know who came up with it. <laughs> I know that it's real <laughs> because there's there's one in the Tower of London. It is you know it's a well known mm. instrument of torture. It was like something that was like okay, that's just so horrendous. Let's let's get it in the movie. But it's more yeah. like once you explain how it works, that's all you need to know. You don't need to see it working. It's the power of imagination, isn't it? I of think course. it's, you know, the, the real lasting effect is still there. Yeah. And speaking of like these sequences, um, Charlotte Kirk is credited as one of the writers alongside yourself. Um, what was her take sort of when writing this in the more vulnerable, violent moments, knowing that she had to sort of enact them on screen? Um, we, you know, we've discussed this quite a bit lately and it, and it really was a case of when, when she was co-writing with me, she had a writer hat on and was not thinking about what was coming later. I think if she had thought about it, she would have been like, Oh my God, I've got to, I've got to learn to ride a horse. Uh, I've got to be strapped to this thing all day, every day. And it's going to be painful. <laughs> I think she might have shied away from writing that stuff. It was like, it, she, we wrote the characters in writing mode and uh, made them as honest and true and as, as interesting as we possibly could. And we didn't come to like how we were going to do it until we were, 
getting into prep and in her case like getting on set and like okay now i've got to actually deal with this stuff um <laughs> that, I, that i wrote and i've only got myself to blame but it's like this is this is a big bridge and i'll, I'll cross it and she took it all in a stride yeah she learned you know, she learned to ride um mm. and she learned to do sword fighting all the stuff that she'd never done before and um and she had endured it all willingly incredible incredible and the film also reunites you with sean pertwee and i think this if i'm oh, not yes. mistaken it's your third third film together it is um, it is yeah he is always great value i love this guy and i just i want to think that he's a bloody legend to work with tell me it's true he is a bloody legend to work with he's <laughs> he's such he's such a great mate and a real pleasure and it's like it's astonishing it's like dang, 10 years since we worked together last on doomsday so yeah this mm. is our third collaboration um yeah, there needs to be more really but um it was a joy to had to joy to get him back and, and do something very very different from what we've done before um he still ends up dying in the end of course because that's just that's the tradition but uh, <laughs> but um <laughs> i think for him as well it was like he'd spent what was it three four years doing gotham um mm-hmm. and very cushy i think very uh you know lots of time, lots of money, all this kind of stuff. And then he comes to Budapest to do this kind of week long stint on this movie. And it was hell bent for leather, like from start to finish, really intense. He was, he was in it, really in it. And um, I think he loved the experience. It was, you know, cleaned the baffles out of it, um, I think. And what's it like to to work in Budapest? Did you have to sort of source a lot of local crew or could you take your own with you? Oh, it was a mix. We had a few people from the UK, but most of it was local crew. Um, it was my first time working in Budapest. A lot of movies are shot there, so they do have a, a, a lot of well, you know, well-trained uh, crew there that are, that are really good. So, you know, that works out great. Yeah, for sure. And I think this film is um, quite different to a lot of your films. Um, maybe Centurion is the closest aligned. Um, do you make a concerted effort to keep your projects as diverse as they are? I do. Um, I don't want to. I don't really want to repeat myself. I also don't want to repeat stuff that's kind of out there already. So, like, I, I was trying, like, it, just to do a horror film at all was like, okay, what can I do that isn't just the same as everything else that's out there right now? I love history. I love finding these kind of stories within history, and um, yeah, I mean, that's that's the challenge for me. I, I, I guess Centurion is the closest, but I, I don't know. I do love historical epics, and, and this is an epic of a different sort. Um, but at the same time, I wanted to make a horror movie again um, and just go back into that world, you know, which I haven't been in for a while. Um, yep. Scaring people. I, <laughs> it's fun. Yeah, absolutely. And I, th- I think obviously when you, when you work in horror, you kind of, a lot of people get sort of pigeonholed. I think it's great that you sort of m- manage to diversify like that. It's, you know, it's what makes your work exciting to me. Well, uh, I, I never, I never wanted to be seen purely as a horror director. I started out, doing horror but i mean something like dog soldiers is as much an action movie as it is a horror movie so um action is the thing that i love doing most really um so i always try and get some action elements into whatever i'm doing um because because yeah. i like directing the shit out of that stuff because it's fun <laughs> well speaking of action i think maybe with the exception of hellboy most of your films are fairly grounded in practical effects and have a sort of organic atmosphere what what keeps you making films with that aesthetic because I think it looks better. I think ultimately it stands the test of time, and it's, and the films that I love are of that same aesthetic. And you know they were made 30, 40 years ago in most cases, even older, but they still stand up. 
you know, all those films from the late seventies and early eighties and stuff like that, that, that are just bona fide classics because they have those practical effects that were done so well and they still look realistic today. Whereas you get CGI from about two years ago and it looks phony already. Um, and, and you can tell the human eye can tell something that is real and something that is not real. Um, and well, at least my, I can anyway, I think most people can. Um, and, and so I'd still just prefer practical effects wherever humanly possible. That's not to say that, you know, CG effects like are incredibly useful and, and, and it's an incredible tool to be used by filmmakers and some do it beautifully. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, doing it in such a way that it is invisible. Um, but it's trying to find the best of both worlds, I suppose. I think the most of the genre fans would be very pleased to hear you say that. Well, that's, that's where I'm making the fan the films for. So, like, you know, I want them to be happy. I know that there is a love out there of practical effects. It's just you know, having the conviction to do it when it's it's in way easy just to say, oh, we'll just do it CG. We'll just do it all in post. Yeah. But then, what you're depriving the audience—it's not just depriving the audience; it's depriving the cast of having something there on set to work with and react to and and things. And I think that makes a big difference as well. Yeah, absolutely. And um, look, before before I let you go, I wanted to sort of touch upon, you, you mentioned um, COVID earlier on, and I guess the pandemic has given a lot of creative people time to focus on writing and, you know, getting things sort of out of their brain and onto the paper. Hopefully, I guess, if, you know, if anything, some interesting stuff comes from the pandemic. What has, what has COVID meant for you creatively? Um, well, a similar sort of thing. I mean, uh, the, the necessity to think creatively uh, creatively think out your way out of the problem, which was, you know, we're stuck in a house. Uh, what am I going to do? And, and uh, so uh, Charlotte and I thought, well, how can we write a movie that we could potentially make under COVID restrictions? And so we developed a script last year that we're going to make in May. And it's another horror film. It's more action packed this time. It's, it's a monster movie. Um, but we designed it around the concept of a minimal you know, minimal cast in minimal locations and things so to try and make it under COVID restrictions. So that was what came <laughs> of that. Well, fantastic to hear. And I'm sure everyone listening will be very, very pleased to hear that as well. And for the people listening, The Reckoning is available on Blu-ray and DVD here in Australia through Eagle Entertainment. If you keep listening to the show, you have a chance to win a copy. But for now, Neil, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. I've, um, I've been looking forward to this. Cheers for having a chat about the film with me. Oh, well, it's great to chat with you. I think, I think you might be my first Australian interview. So... Oh, exclusive. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you and, um, and take care and all the best to Charlotte. Cheers, man. Thank you. Mate, how good was that? You know, chatting one-on-one -on -one with that guy is just one of my favourite interviews yet. Mm. Just a genuinely really sweet guy. Yeah, such a cool dude. He is. I hope you all enjoyed that as well. Um, you actually uh, have a chance to see the conversation in video form tomorrow night on our youtube and facebook pages so definitely check that out and then on thursday we're going to present you with a very special rapid fire video neil decided to sit in the hot seat with me and just field off a bunch of random ass questions which uh is unique because he's never done it before and you're not going to get that information anywhere else sweet <laughs> yes and that brings us to the end of the show but before sweet. before we do go we are uh, we want to give you a copy of the reckoning on blu-ray sweet we've got some copies to give away thanks to eagle entertainment all you got to do is email us at giveaways at fakeshemp.net tell us what your favorite neil marshall movie is and why sweet <laughs> and with that we are done sweet <laughs> fucking hell
<laughs> Thank you to our partners, Eagle Entertainment, Luna Drive-In, Umbrella Entertainment, Astor Theatre, and Four Pillars Gin. Throw some support their way, find their websites. And a quick whip around to all of our, our brothers in crime, Jarrett, Garn, Guillermo, Troncoso, Adam Ross, Joe Lewis, Chad Jennings, and James Thomas. Thanks to those guys. And you also, Ben, Hellwig. Sweet. Um, I'll, I'll see you on a video sometime soon. Yes. Sweet. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck you're doing. And what happened, I... <laughs> I was going to make some crack about the video about me spilling uh, tomato sauce from a cheeseburger on my shirt, but... Uh... <laughs> I uh, it came out as a half sweet, half uh, or God only knows what. So I kind of ruined the bit. Oh, that's all right. Well, here's another song for you anyway from the Hellboy soundtrack to leave you with. It's one called "Beat the Devil's Tattoo" uh, by the Black Rebel Motorcycle Club. And speaking of motorcycle clubs, next week on our show we'll be talking about the cult classic film Stone and other motorcycle-related films, and our special guest will be Stone and Mad Max star Roger Ward. Um, Another one to add to your calendar. Have a great week, folks. We'll see you next Monday. (laughs) 